This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. The Romance of Tristan and Isolt. By Joseph Bedier. Translated by H. Bellop. Part the First. The Morholt out of Ireland. When Tristan came back to that land, King Mark and all his barony were mourning, for the King of Ireland had manned a fleet to ravage Cornwall. Should King Mark refuse, as he had refused these fifteen years, to pay a tribute his fathers had paid? Now that year this king had sent to Tintagel to carry his summons a giant knight, the Morholt, whose sister he had wed, and whom no man had yet been able to overcome. So King Mark had summoned all the barons of his land to council by letters sealed. On the day assigned, when the barons were gathered in the hall, and when the king had taken his throne, the Morholt said these things. King Mark, hear for the first time the summons of the king of Ireland, my lord. He arraigns you to pay at last that which you have owed so long, and because you have refused it too long already, he bids you give over to me this day, three hundred youths and three hundred maidens, drawn by lot from among the Cornish folk. But if so be that any would prove by trial of combat that the King of Ireland receives this tribute without right, I will take up his wager. Which among you, my Cornish lords, will fight to redeem this land? The barons glanced at each other, but all were silent. Then Tristan knelt at the feet of King Mark and said, Lord King, by your leave, I will do battle. And in vain would King Mark have turned him from his purpose, thinking, how could even valour save so young a knight? But he threw down his gage to the Morholt, and the Morholt took up the gage. On the appointed day, he had himself clad for a great feat of arms, in a hauberk and in a steel helm, and he entered a boat and drew to the islet of St. Samson's where the knights were to fight each to each alone. Now the Morholt had hoisted to his mast a sail of rich purple, and coming fast to land, he moored his boat on the shore. But Tristan pushed off his own boat adrift with his feet and said, One of us only will go hence alive. One boat will serve. And each rousing the other to the fray, they passed into the isle. No man saw the sharp combat, but thrice the salt sea-breeze had wafted, or seemed to waft, a cry of fury to the land, when at last, towards the hour of noon, the purple sails showed far off. The Irish boat appeared from the island shore, and there rose a clamour of, The Morholt! When suddenly, as the boat grew larger on the sight and topped a wave, they saw that Tristan stood on the prow, holding a sword in his hand. He leapt ashore, and as the mothers kissed the steel upon his feet, he cried to the Morholt's men, My lords of Ireland, the Morholt fought well. See here, my sword is broken, and a splinter of it stands fast in his head. Take you that steel, my lords. It is the tribute of Cornwall. Then he went up to Tintagel, and as he went, the people he had freed waved green bows, and rich cloths were hung at the windows. But when Tristan reached the castle with joy, 
songs and joy bells sounding about him. He drooped in the arms of King Mark, for the blood ran from his wounds. The Morholt's men, they landed in Ireland quite cast down, for whenever he came back into Whitehaven, the Morholt had been wont to take joy in the sight of his clan upon the shore, of the queen his sister, and of his niece Isolt the fair. Tenderly had they cherished him of old, and had he taken some wound, they healed him, for they were skilled in balms and potions. But now their magic was vain, for he lay dead, and the splinter of the foreign brand yet stood in his skull, till Isolt plucked it out and shut it in a chest. From that day Isolt the fair knew and hated the name of Tristan of Lyonesse. But over in Tintagel Tristan languished, for there trickled a poisonous blood from his wound. The doctors found that the Morhold had thrust into him a poisoned barb, and as their potions and their theriac could never heal him, they left him in God's hands. So hateful a stench came from his wound that all his dearest friends fled him, all save King Mark, Gorvenal, and Dinus of Lydon. They always could stay near his couch because their love overcame their abhorrence. At last Tristan had himself carried into a boat apart on the shore, and lying facing the sea he awaited death, for he thought, I must die, but it is good to see the sun and my heart is still high. I would like to try the sea that brings all chances. I would have the sea bear me far off alone, to what land no matter, so that it heal me of my wound. He begged so long that King Mark accepted his desire. He bore him into a boat with neither sail nor oar, and Tristan wished that his harp only should be placed beside him, for sails he could not lift, nor oar ply, nor sword wield. And as a seaman on some long voyage cast to the sea a beloved companion dead, so Gorvenal pushed out to see the boat where his dear son lay, and the sea drew him away. For seven days and seven nights the sea so drew him, at times to charm his grief he harped, and when at last the sea brought him near shore where fishermen had left their port that night to fish far out, they heard as they rowed a sweet and strong and living tune that ran above the sea, and feathering their oars they listened immovable. In the first whiteness of the dawn they saw the boat at large. She went at random, and nothing seemed to live in her except the voice of the harp. But as they neared, the air grew weaker and died, and when they hailed her, Tristan's hands had fallen lifeless on the strings, though they still trembled. The fishermen took him in, and bore him back to port, to their lady who was merciful, and perhaps would heal him. It was that same port of Whitehaven, where the Morholt lay, and their lady was Isolt the Fair. She alone, being skilled in filters, could save Tristan. But she alone wished him dead. When Tristan knew himself again, for her art restored him, he knew himself to be in the land of peril. But he was yet strong to hold his own, and found good crafty words. He told a tale of how he was a seer that had taken passage on a merchant ship, and sailed to Spain to learn the art of reading all the stars 
of how pirates had boarded the ship and of how, though wounded, he had fled into that boat. He was believed, nor did any of the Mohalt's men know his face again, so hardly had the poison used it. But when, after forty days, Isolt of the golden hair had all but healed him, when already his limbs had recovered, and the grace of youth returned, he knew that he must escape, and he fled, and after many dangers he came again before Mark the king. End of the Moorholt Art of Ireland